Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So I'm very excited, mate. Big weekend of football. Uh, Huddersfield playing Leeds, still top of the league and hoping to stay there. What league? Championship. Well, I suppose we're in the Champions League. So Champions League? Yeah, well done. Okay, a bit rude, but uh, but fine. And and this is what I think. I don't even know how many podcasts we've done now, but probably 16 or 17 podcasts. I'm I'm just pumped off of that. I've done 212 podcasts since started podcasting, Matt. 212? 212. To my... 18. All of which I've been in. <laughs> You're in a weird mood. Very weird mood. Uh, but anyway, I'm not going to let you dampen my spirits because I'm super excited to be going on holiday with the missus. Where are you going? Tenerife, obviously. I'm going to Elevenerife tonight, so... Uh, Elevenerife. Good. Why are you being like this? I don't know. It's like it's a big weekend of rivalries. I'm just in one of the mood. We've got a guest coming on, Steve Tong. He's written a book called Turf Wars, all about London's greatest rivalries. It's just put me in one of those moods, and um, I'm just a bit agitated <laughs> and not impressed by anything you've ever done, Matt. Fine. Play the credit. Long Welcome to the Long Ball Street Podcast, Matt, we're joined by you. Yes, we and, are. And, then, and, and we are here with me. And we're waiting for, uh, for, for Stevie, Stevie T. Stevie T, uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's ever been called Stevie T? Probably not, probably not. He's, not a, really he's a refined uh, seasoned journalist of 40 years and um, has just written a book about the... The, the, the rivalries of London's football clubs and um, fascinating book, a really interesting li- listen and um, uh, a read, it, brother. And are you all right now? Because you're all wound up. Early, no, I'm not. It? I'm not all right. Um, I'm, I'm, I am wound up. I think the most important thing about football is, is rivalry. And it revs. It really revs your engines. It does. It, well, it just makes me think of Arsenal. And I'm not going to go into this again because it's becoming a bit of a cliche me talking about Arsenal. But it, it makes. You're it make, obsessed. I am obsessed. I, I categorically, I'll put on record, I'm obsessed with hating Arsenal. I hate them, don't you? I do. I hate them. I hate them. But I probably haven't gone as far. as some other people in, in rivalries in world football that's true um, we kind of did a little bit digging around people lose their shit don't they <laughs> massively like. Right, like, like people lose their shit in sport mm. um, I remember one of the first games I went to actually when Huddersfield were and they needed to, to win yeah. I know you get mad when I bring up fucking Huddersfield no, get I like right. it now that they're doing well I think no, you've got uh, you know, it's I, I can talk about it because they're doing alright but no I remember one of, I, was, I was a young kid and, and we were very near getting relegated and we're playing Oldham and Oldham went and scored this goal and it was kind of oh was it offside this guy 
thought it was offside so much that he, he literally walked down. This was terracing back in him. days. practically knocked me off the barrier that I sat on. Right. Marched onto the pitch, started beating up the linesman. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. It's not funny, but that's what, that's what happened. But, but people lose their shit, they don't do. they? You know, they talk, you know... Not just fans. Man, um, Rangers and Celtic, there's... We're not going to go into the the... the, the, the whether or not people should be allowed to sing, sing secretarian songs, I don't know enough about Why are you bringing it, it up? Then? Well, I'm bringing it up because there's a school of thought that... That you should be able to. The, no, well, there is, definitely <laughs> well, that. Well, now you're talking about it, Flav. No, no, I'm thinking... I'm not sure about this. Well, there's some normal people, like a school teacher or whatnot, and, and they might say at some point, well, I, I'm not a bigot. I'm not going to say anything racist, or I'm not going to be... I'm, I'm not going to sing secretarian songs when I'm walking down the street, but at when I get inside the game... It's my, I've paid my money. I'll pay my money. It's my right. I'll sing what I want. I'll I'll do what I want. Yeah, I'll do what I want. And and for 90 minutes, I'm going to be a bigot. And then when the final whistle goes, I'm going to go back to being teaching little Johnny. And then there's that guy, do you remember that, that lawyer who was at a Chelsea game yeah. mm. last year, went viral for just saying something ridiculous about, about Liverpool people. I don't, I don't even know what he said. It was, it was about, he was, um, it was about a class that he was talking, I think he was oh, talking about their got class. jobs or something. Like, or yeah, some the rats, rubbish rats like out that. of bins, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it and is rubbish. All, and he was a lawyer, like. Yeah, he should have known better. But, but this is, we're talking here a lot about fans and fans losing their shit. And, but it happens to players. I mean, Rangers Celtic, there's been some amazing ones where they're fighting in lumps. Yeah, yeah. There's something about, look, uh, we're, we're human beings ultimately and, and you can't can't not get caught up in the occasion. Um, if you do, if you don't, or you're able to keep a calm head and play, I mean, all power to you. But you can't. You can understand why some players lose it, and mm. you look at the amount of yellow and red cards that go on in the old firm. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, last year, your the, the the Chelsea Spurs one, where all we were talking about with Greco on last week's amazing podcast. Yeah. That if you haven't listened to, you should check out. Yeah. But but that's what happened, isn't it? Yeah. Spurs Spurs just lost their heads completely. There were there there were there were interviews with Fabregas and Eden Hazard before the game started, and uh, a couple of days before, and said, you know, we can't let Tottenham win the league, which I, I appreciate. I appreciate mm. that they that they're saying that, and, and nor should they. And um, you know, you could call into question how. Uh, how hard they tried when they played Leicester and lost, yeah. but you know that's that's an issue. But I can understand why they wouldn't, uh, given the rivalry between Tottenham and Chelsea. But when the occasion happened, Spurs fans, Spurs, Spurs players lost their heads completely. And and do you know what? A little bit proud of it. Go on. No, why? I won't, I'm not showing. It, but it's, there's something that makes that whole theatre around sport that much more entertaining. Is when. People lose their shit and yeah. just go. You know what? No, not today. <laughs> this is my moment to to make Stand. my point. And and um, one of my favourite ones was um, was Sunis. Yeah, when he when he went to manage um, Galatasaray. That's right. Who were they playing? Fenerbahce. Fenerbahce. And at the end of the game, what was going through his mind? It was he was, was managing Galatasaray at Fenerbahce. Yeah. What's going through the guy's mind? So he's sort of thinking, right, the game's ended. I can't remember his one or lost, but I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking... I'm going to make a point here. I'm going to make a point in more ways than one. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, what can I do? What can he, I do he must be like just looking around. Fuck, I really feel like I want to do something here. Yeah. I'm going to get the corner flag. No, not a corner flag. No? No, it was a was flag, it? a Galatasaray flag. A Galatasaray flag. flag. <laughs> Galatasaray. With a complete pole, as if he's landed on the moon or something yeah. like that. He's like, this is do mine. You, do you remember he, he was running across the pitch, literally running, and you imagine carrying chasing. a flag like it's Game of Thrones. And the chairman, Game of Thrones on the moon. And the chairman's looking down from him and he's going, 
what's Graham up to? <laughs> oh my, what the fuck is he doing? And he's running along with a Galatasaray flag. It's, fuck this, this is my place now. This is our place and just sticks it in the turf. But that will have in just... In the centre circle. That will have just enamoured him so much to... Yeah, uh, he became a legend in that, in that instance. I mean, uh, the rivalry's a great time to be, either become a legend or destroy your, your legacy altogether. Yeah. Um, which is um, it's an amazing thing. There's been others as well. If you Go think on. about... Inter Milan versus Atalanta. Some people. This was kind of. Is a, that a derby? Not really. Is it a rivalry? I don't think so. I don't know. There must have been something going on around around that game as it happened. But he. Um, Who? So, some some guys. Some some Inter Milan ultras decided that. But they, they found themselves in the top tier, and they somehow found themselves with a moped, and what? they got a moped into the ground. How? The, but how? What? Why would you take it? Is it what you couldn't find the parking? Yeah, let's get it up into the ground. No, no, this isn't safe. I'm not leaving this outside. I'm going to take it into the ground. And and as the game went, I think in the Milan how one, how did you get that past the stewards? Not just and upstairs, up the so top up, tier, top tier. Yeah, and uh, I think in the Milan one three nil, and and they decided to celebrate by bunging the the, the moped off the top tier. So into, I'm going to show my support. By throwing a moped out. By taking a moped to the game. And if anyone doesn't believe us, this stuff's on YouTube, you can right. find it. Type in the Milan moped incident. And they just throw it onto the pitch. Yeah, it was pretty. Not into the pitch, into, I wonder, I wonder into the tier a, full of people. I wonder what drove that, whether it was just like, like I said, uh, petrol probably is. Uh, <laughs> I wonder whether it was convenience, I couldn't get parked, or whether it was right, I'm going to the game. Yeah. I want to. I really want to make my support clear to I'm everyone. sick of this moped. <laughs> yeah. I've had enough. So, or maybe it was a case of, right, what am I going to throw out? He's got a pig, he's got a moped, <laughs> and a, I don't know, a, a boiler or a sick. Like, you know, what, 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 what are you, what's your choice of things? Uh, before you going, I'm going to throw a fucking motorbike. You've got to admire the fact that these managed to get a, a moped past security through turnstiles up the stairs. To the, I've been to the San Siro and it's a long old bloody walk up those stairs as well. And um, obviously the thing you don't admire is throwing a moped. And nothing but you be. get that. I mean, I, I don't know if you um, don't see that much stuff come onto the pitch in England, but I remember when um, the, the fan that... So, obviously, Figo, who yeah. was um, an amazing... Amazing talent for Barca. Yeah, amazing talent. Yeah, and um, Portuguese. So he was used to wear the number seven, didn't he? Yeah, um, that's right. And he went from um, Barca, to, Barca to Real Madrid. Yeah, which yeah. is a fucking huge rivalry. Yeah. Classico. You don't do that. No, you don't. And obviously, if I'm sitting there as a Barcelona fan, yeah. What else can I do apart from show the world out? What's the best way to demonstrate this? Do you know what I'm going to do if I'm I'm that Barcelona fan? What are you going to do? I want to go to the butchers. (laughs) Why are you going to go butchers, man? I want to go to the butchers pre match so I can find something appropriate like a pig's head. And then, when Figo comes up to take his corner kick... I'm fucking throw that yeah, thing at him. I'm going to say, Figo, oi, mate, check this out, you <laughs> bastard. And fucking lob a, a pig's head at him. I oh, know, he, he, he did bang it right at him and, and, and he hit the ground. And, uh, a pig's head? A pig's head. And it wasn't just like a pig's head with, and, and it'd been cauterised and, and it, it was just... It did was it disgusting. Have... It was... If you're that guy, do you put an orange in its mouth or no. an apple? <laughs> and and, and, and what, you put it in a plastic bag, don't you? Because I, do, I wouldn't even be feel comfortable. I'm, I'm, un, I'm, I'm uncomfortable handling sausages. You're a vegetarian oh, for no, a start. You wouldn't that, do it. What would you have thrown? Uh, at most, an orange. An orange. Yeah, it's probably not a great... Um, that could, could hurt. It could it's hurt. with a pig's head. I'm not sure. I mean, it, I think the pig's head would hurt if... It was coming from the top tier, yeah. and therefore it had well, it gravity could, and it, all it, kinds of f- laws of physics involved in it. But 
if you're like ground level, which I think they were, you can't get the velocity on a pig's head mm. to actually do any significant. It'd just be almost a bit of a. It's insulting, but an orange, I think, is maybe. It's too much of a projectile. Yeah, you could you could hurt someone if that caught you at the right place on the back of the head. Yeah, I, I guess you could you could say that you you you're trying to cause harm with an orange. But mm. with a pig's head, it would be hard to prove. Well, what was you going to try and kill a man with a pig's head? If I wanted to do that, I'd have a you know a gun or something or a, designed to kill. Or people. a really hard tangerine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like anyway. a, yeah um, uh, so anyway, that that's um, uh, rivalry's real. Quickly, do Go you on. think football's? Uh, because I moan a lot about the kind of overset safety conscious grounds that we have now, and you can't do anything. You can't take poles in that are longer than a meter because they could be used as a projectile. You love a bit of health and safety, though, don't you? No, I hate you it. don't even need to wear that high vis jacket. You're not even our first aid guy, but you still bring it in. Yeah, um, well, clipboard. In some is <laughs> hard hat. I, none of this is true. I don't want this to, <laughs> this to be the, the perception that people might have of me. But uh, there, there is something missing from football. But I'm not sure if it's flying pig heads is what it is. What is missing then? What, what's, what's the point of this? Just like I just think that we've become. You think there's something missing? I think there's some. There's oh, rivalry is missing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think rivalry is missing. And, and what is this? You mean? I guess it's fairly from football that I used to go and watch. Mm. I think in the stadium it's got a bit sanitised. I mean, yep. I remember as a kid. Um, We'd play because um, that was the insulting thing that teams would do. They would take your end. Yeah, that, these are in the days of hooliganism and stuff like that. We, so. we have a song at Tottenham that says we took the North Bank in half a minute. We took the shed with Chelsea in it. <laughs> all right. We hammered the hammers with knives and spanners. Not that you know I don't condone using knives and spanners at all, but you don't need to apologise. Needs must sometimes <laughs> needs <laughs> during must. the 80s. But but that's that's what you used to do, didn't they? Mm. You'd uh, and I love that song. Um, and that's what happened. I remember teams coming in and like Man City, and it, it used to be kind kind of scary. I don't think that that goes on really as much anymore in the yeah. football in the ground. It's a bit more sanitised. Yeah, definitely. But and I think it probably just all takes place in YouTube comments. Now. Yeah, <laughs> the glory of, of the internet, the the, the the actually the hell mouth of the internet is the mm. YouTube comments. Anyway, so we, we we're about to speak to uh, Steve Tong, fascinating individual. Yeah, and um, yeah, enjoy. Today we're joined by Steve Tung, and obviously um, we're here with Matt again. That's, that's again sounds quite. Oh, long you you always end. give me these really poor intros <laughs> where I just have to go like hello or something like. That. It's, all, it's all about him. You'll realise that, Steve. Matt, how, are you, how are you? Everything going okay? Yeah, I'm really good actually. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah, very good. Excited to see. Uh, and it's good that some of the stuff we'll talk about today because Huddersfield, yes, and well, I've always got to mention Steve, right. uh, play Leeds on Saturday, which is our big rivalry. It's wow. a very big uh, weekend, isn't it? There's Glasgow derby, Manchester derby, and Huddersfield and Leeds. I had to get my attention, but the yes. West Yorkshire derby, <laughs> the big one. Um, we're talking about rivalries today because Steve, uh, you, you published a book called Turf Wars: uh, History of London Football. But obviously you have keen interest in rivalries everywhere. Is it, what, what is it about rivalries that make you, you know? I suppose the interest in London is just that there are so many clubs. Um, I steered away from saying no other place has got as many professional clubs as London because there are one or two I've heard of, like Buenos Aires in Argentina, that, that claim there are as many professional football clubs. Mm. Um, though it depends, of course, how you define the area and, yeah. and how do you define full-time professional clubs. But the great interest, of course, in London means that there are there are always teams doing well, there are always teams doing badly, and because there are, if you divide it rough London roughly into the four quarters, there are 
particular local rivalries as well as the uh, the bigger ones. Um, the other interesting thing that came out of the book very early on is how. Well over 100 years ago, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham were established as the biggest three teams in the capital, um, which which only a few possibly deluded West Ham supporters might suggest was was different now, but that West Ham now, um, undoubtedly with their move to the new stadium, have their best chance ever to, to make that into a big four. So there's always something going on, and uh, it's good that in London uh, that these teams are in general associated with a particular little local area um, mm. and, and as the, the rivalries develop. Matt, you're, mm. you're, the Huddersfield are doing really well and you were talking about teams doing, doing well and, and, and Huddersfield are currently sitting top of the championship. How big is that rivalry with Leeds though? And what, what, you know, you're looking forward to that game. Do you feel, is there a bit of trepidation about it or... Yeah. So, so firstly, uh, Leeds have always, um, you know, they've always been jealous of us. They've always been in our shadow. Um, It's kind of, what, why are you laughing? uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of them where, um, you you know, they're only kind of, you know, what, nine miles away or something like that. Um, And you just hate every single thing that they that they do. Um, the games are massive. They just look down on us. Mm. I don't want to say what they call us because it's kind of it might not translate well in modern okay. era, but it's not nice. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just the whole thing. There's a lot of teams in in Yorkshire, and there's a lot of teams in West Yorkshire. So Bradford, Leeds, Huddersfield really hate each other, and then obviously there's the Sheffield teams that are kind of not too far away, and even your Rotherhams and stuff like that. So uh, I just grew up uh, though in in a place called um, we're going to school in Outwood, which is kind of on the Leeds side of West Field, and everyone at my school was a Leeds fan, and so, and we were kind of in the same division a little bit before they went up into the into the Premier League, or I think we went up into the first division, yeah. and then it became the Premier League, didn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, you've always had that thing where they look down on you and abuse you because they have bigger crowds and and kind of better players, and but 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 right now. It's actually us that are going into this derby, top of the league, and you know, feel it. Feeling You're excited. really enjoying this, aren't you? I mean, uh, so you should. We've, yeah, I've, I've, it's, this is the highest we've been in, in in my time as a as a Huddersfield fan, and I've been watching since I was like seven years old, and I'm now very old. Steve, so. you're, you're you're obviously an Orient fan. Do you you can kind of appreciate where. Where Matt's coming from? Yes, I, I don't know whether the, the biggest and the best rivalries are from teams who have been on a fairly even keel, um, a bit like Arsenal and Spurs, although I know Arsenal have had, had the better of that in a while, or, or whether it, you, you then get, of course, local rivalries in which one team is dominant. I mean, the, mm. the Chelsea-Fulham thing, uh, I know Fulham supporters don't like Chelsea, uh, whereas I think Chelsea supporters can be very patronising. and indifferent, which is worse really yeah. because Leeds have that with we so us and Bradford both kind of hate Leeds right yeah. and they're they're like look we don't really know who you are we're on to big <laughs> thing we hate Man United I, I did That's- a bit of research into once into the results in the head to heads in local derbies and I think Leeds Bradford was one of those where given that they haven't all, all that often been in the same division I mean the the results were so much one sided in, in Leeds favour that you mm. could understand why Leeds would regard Bradford as totally insignificant yeah. in, in London it's the same with Chelsea and Fulham I mean Fulham have an absolutely terrible record against Chelsea mm. and only occasionally um, I mean I've, I've lived in Charlton for very many years and 
in a different way, Charlton's record against Millwall is absolutely terrible. Mm. And whereas Charlton seemed to feel obliged to have to hate Millwall, which is a regular chant at most games, and to hate Crystal Palace, yeah. uh, the Millwall and Palace fans I've come across have no great feelings about Charlton whatsoever. No, they no feel they're a little bit no irrelevant. No, no, they, Palace seem to feel that Brighton are much more their enemies than Charlton will ever be, which is a slightly strange geographical thing. Yeah, I really want to. Uh, we will. We're going to really get into the rivalry in, in the kind of second part. But that that thing about Palace mm-hmm. and Brighton. Can you just explain that? That do you know about this? It's such a weird, re- weird reason why they have a rivalry. You've heard about this, Matt. I'm, I'm panicking now that we, none of us actually know. It's something well, to do with Alan Yes, I think it's, it's comparatively <laughs> recent. It's not a historical thing, although they would have, for many years, they would have been in the old uh, third division south together, that sort of level together in the lower divisions. Um, uh, Alan Mullery went off to be manager of, of, of Brighton and became very unpopular with Palace. And then they, there was just a period when they were very big, um, very big rivals, top of the second division and so on. Right. And it, it's a slight, you know, they're on the same train line. If anybody can ever get a, a, a southern region train or whatever it is to, right. uh, to go from London to Brighton and back these days. Um, and uh, tied up with, I think, if, if we talk about rivalries in general, I'm inclined to say that a lot of them uh, were accentuated in the hooliganism days and that the Palace and, and Brighton would, would, would have had a good few skirmishes, Just shall we say, for, at yeah, that time as well. Just the train lines, um, yeah. so, so oddly, whereas uh, Palace Millwall, I think, is a genuine, is a genuine dislike. Um, it, it's just one of those slight oddities that Brighton, probably being a bit stuck on the south coast and uh, and finding Portsmouth and Southampton and places a bit too far away to, to dislike too much, uh, they settled for Palace, and so it's one of those which has just... And, of course, these things tend to... Um, uh, tend to, to to mushroom, don't they? Just because their uh, young Palace supporters will be growing up told we hate Brighton, and Brighton mm. supporters will be growing up will be told we hate Palace, and so it will continue for possibly for no very good reason. We, 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 we play Brighton after Leeds, actually. So uh, yeah, taste a bit of that hatred. <laughs> exactly. See what yeah. It's like. yeah, so I will tell you what it's like. <laughs> it's funny though because you, you do end up um, sort of uniting with people against these figures of hate and and, and at times that we've been in um, pubs with because I even like the Sheffield teams they hate Leeds as well Mm. Um, so you've been in pubs with Sheffield fans just singing we only hate Leeds United hate Leeds United and you know that kind of thing Mm. Um, yeah but everyone hates Leeds don't they it's funny that that you're saying that you find a common ground in hatred for another team Um, Stoke obviously have since the Shawcross challenge on with Arsenal Ramsey have have a big issue with and vice versa and um, I did a preview of a Stoke fan on another podcast that I do and uh, and um, we started talking about the game but then we watched we just talked about how much we hate Arsenal and that was, it was a real there's a real bond growing it was really great <laughs> it is funny I just is, is your daughter Joe Tong by any chance she is yes yes no way god man because I just when you asked me about Leeds I just I was just putting in something on uh, on Google and you asked about Leeds and that's why I spoke absolute rubbish for a while because it was Joe Tung and I was like and then I was remembering that Joe telling me at some point I know Joe that her dad had written a book and then when I'm cut it's just all wow. I should have noticed Curious. this beforehand if, if our name was Smith no one would ever make any connection whatsoever exactly and I, everyone, I remember her saying everyone you know, knows that. our Joe who is she still produces uh, the Sunday edition of 606 that's right so yeah. she she gets to hear from a lot of fans on a on a lot of topics mm. <laughs> 
fascinating. Yeah. Oh, it's it's nice small. Well, not really. You're completely irrelevant. But <laughs> no, no, it is. It's, it's interesting. Um, so your 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 background, obviously, for forty years. I'm sorry to mention that. I've actually we were talking off air and we went into the forty years and the pained expression came across your face. <laughs> Long time. Uh, forty years in journalism. Yes. Um, wow. Starting out in in East London, Walthamstow Way. Uh, brought up as I've, I've said many times just about equidistant from Spurs, Arsenal and West Ham, all of whom it would have been great fun to support. Um, and even when my dad took me to my first match as a very young six-year-old, I think, uh, which was a Spurs-Chelsea game, it was made clear to me that our family supported Leighton Orient. <laughs> so uh, instead of the glory years of Arsenal, Spurs and West Ham, I had... I have had many years of Leighton Orient. Um, Sorry, which has been cut you. Did you did you look at your dad and go, well, "What am I doing here? Why are you showing me the sweets?" And then say, "You're not allowed any. You can't have any of these sweets." <laughs> I think on that day I was just fascinated to to see uh, 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 as big a game as Spurs and Chelsea was. And in fact, well, I tell you what, my first ever Orient game was, it would have been as many people there as there were at the Spurs Chelsea really? game. There were about twenty thousand each. They played Leicester City, who were already the second division champions that year. It was an Easter game. Game. And uh, the result was Orient one, Leicester City five. Wow. And uh, Pro- promoted by Easter, that's that's a good end to the yes, season. Thinking of sing good. songs that they're allowed. Well, there's 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 a punchline, which is that of course in those days before footballers used to get tired playing more than one day a week, they used to play on Good Friday and then on Easter Saturday and then on Easter Monday. Wow. So on Easter Monday they went up to Leicester and played the reserve game, and we crowded round the radio to see whether Leicester had reached double figures or not against Orient this time, <laughs> and heard uh, Leicester City one, Leighton Orient four. Oh, wow. really? <laughs> At which point I thought, well, perhaps this funny little team might be all right to, to stick by. And uh, miraculously, within, what, five years of that, they had managed to get promoted with Bill Shankly's Liverpool to the top division. Right. And, uh, and had a season up with the big boys, never to be forgotten. And I suspect, unfortunately, never to be repeated the way, mm. uh, the, way the game is going. But that's another story. And of course, uh, <laughs> sorry. And of course, Bill Shankly supported. Uh, sorry, managed Huddersfield oh. before Liverpool. But let's not get into that because Flav always makes us. We always bring up Huddersfield, and I don't like it. I, do you know, I'm praying. I'm praying that Huddersfield actually come up somehow this year. Because what? This, imagine starting this podcast in the year that Huddersfield, your team, get promoted to the Premier League, and everyone starts to then accuse me of being a bandwagon jumper or something <laughs> like that. That would be hilarious. No, of years of. Horrible we started, Saturdays. We started this podcast in the, in the, in the summer where you had ho- no hopes at all. I know. So, I still don't. I, I know what's going to happen. But, but God, so 40 years in journalism. Things, I mean, I can't even... Um, obviously, I've seen a lot of the transition now and, and we're kind of at the forefront of a new world where everything's social and everything's digital. Um, just give me, when you first started out, what was the lay of that land? How hard was it to get into? Because it's not ne- like now where anybody can essentially just open a laptop and, and start writing and by being consistent mm. and, and having a strong point of view, you can start to build an audience and awareness. But back in those days, obviously, these weren't options to you. So, so how would you embark on, on that kind of career and lifestyle? Well, there was a very, uh, a very well-defined and well-trodden route into journalism, journalism basically. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. He meant newspapers mm. because uh, in the very early 70s, late 60s, there wasn't even such a thing as local radio. That was just about beginning. Um, so journalism meant newspapers, and you started off on your local newspaper, as I did in, in Walthamstow, and uh, the Walthamstow Gazette or something like that. The Walthamstow Guardian, Guardian yes, okay. now the Waltham Forest Guardian. Um, and you moved on to an evening paper, probably, right. um, in the provinces, which of course were flourishing in those days with lovely Saturday evening football classified editions as well. Mm. Um, and then at some stage you might move uh, as far as Fleet Street, which mm. for many people was the, was the absolute aim. But there were, I say, very few jobs in radio, very few jobs in television. Um, it, it was quite a, um, quite a well-defined path. And I, I actually, having said that, I took a slightly circuitous route in that um, I very early on in the early 70s, 1973, when commercial radio was just beginning, uh, went to the first um, English commercial station, which was LBC in London, which is still still going. Yeah. Uh, and from that, a whole network of uh, commercial indep or independent radio stations sprung up, uh, Capital Radio in, in London as a music station, but mm. most of them mixing music, news and sport. Yeah. Piccadilly Radio in Manchester, yeah. uh, Radio Air in Leeds, radio was it? Air Leeds, yeah. yeah. Uh, all the big cities and, and a lot of quite smaller uh, cities and towns developed uh, to go alongside, in many cases, the BBC local radio station, yeah. who were always very good on sport and, and football. Um, they, uh, they developed uh, local commercial stations as well. So uh, in terms of journalism, uh, greater job opportunities in, in a different area. Um, but I, I was always uh, keenest to get, to get into newspapers, um, which in those days, the, I mean, the great change in newspaper journalism came in 1985-86 when Rupert Murdoch uh, went to Wapping, to the Times and Sunday Times to oh. Wapping, right. and basically uh, sacked all the printers because he was able to bring in a new method of printing which didn't involve printers literally typesetting every word. Right. Um, uh, the other change then, as the whole business very slowly went digital, for very many years at a football match, you sat in a press box, picked up a telephone and spoke to a cop or shouted above the noise of the crowd at a copy taker sitting in a nice, quiet London office who tried to understand what you were saying, wow. uh, which was one of the reasons why some, some famous misprints got in. Um, <laughs> Give us a couple of misprints then, one, that, you were, one of the, that well, you were annoyed by. <laughs> that made you look stupid. Some of them you think, some of them you think <laughs> must be apocryphal. Uh, one of the most famous was... Um, 
a Wales uh, international abroad in uh, in Moscow, uh, Russia v Wales, uh, when of course Ian Rush and Mark Hughes were the Welsh strikers, uh, which actually appeared. I'm told it actually appeared in the paper, though I find it difficult to believe. I suspect hmm. it just appeared from the copy taker as. Uh, Russian Jews, R-U-S-S-I-A-N, Jews, for oh Russian God. Hughes, uh, which I would like to think didn't get into the paper, but you never, you never <laughs> yeah. know. You were very reliant on sub-editors actually getting you out of trouble. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, uh, that could be a nightmare. Um, uh, the other one was um, a Daily Mirror, a famous Daily Mirror reporter called Frank McGee at a very noisy Anfield where the press box was right in the middle of the, almost in the middle of the crowd, uh, starting off by here at Anfield tonight and being told uh, very firmly by the copy taker in London that you didn't say Anfield, you said A-field. <laughs> Spending quite a lot of time while the goals were flying in A-field. trying to persuade No, it wasn't A-field. Field, it was Anfield. And You're in a field tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, love that. I also love the, um, what was the great Ian Rush quote when he, uh, telling people about Juventus, playing for Juventus, when he, he comes out and says something like, God, Italy, it's, it's like a whole other country over there. <laughs> <laughs> I love some of those ones, a bit different. Though. Yeah, so, yes, it was... Um, it, it was difficult days, uh, but then you very quickly moved on in the digital world to uh, what were the, the forerunners of, of modern-day laptops. Uh, the difficulty which, if like me, you never actually learned to touch type, was that you spend more time looking at the screen and trying to get the commas in the right place than you do uh, watching the game and realise you've just missed a goal. Um, so that were, that was a huge a huge transformation, um, and then the other big transformation which we've seen almost in the last very significant change in the last year or so that the Independent, which was a place where I worked for about thirteen years, uh, decided it, it simply couldn't keep going as a printed version and and is now a strictly digital online mm. newspaper, which I I'm sure many others will follow. Do you think that then that there was a time in football journalism? where you kind of had to earn your stripes, you had to work your way through to get to a position where you was given a platform to talk about football in any significant way. Yes, um, I mean, I mean that's true. Uh, there were the also the other fact, I suppose, difference now was that there were far fewer, well, there were far fewer pages, there was far less coverage, there were far, therefore far fewer journalists, far fewer jobs. I mean, I, I, I wish I'd kept the newspaper, but I, I did definitely remember a copy of the Daily Mail quite late on, I think in the late 80s, uh, where there was basically one story about football and the sports pages. I mean, you would have had, you would have had perhaps three, three sports pages and a paper like the Daily Mail. Um, I've got a copy of the, um, the Observer on the day of England won the World Cup 1966, and basically there are two sports pages. The, uh, England winning the World Cup is one match report on the back and one tiny little comment piece. And because one or other of them hadn't written quite enough words at the bottom of it, there's a little paragraph about Kent's County cricket match because there's a space at the, at the bottom of the page they had to fill. Um, yeah, the, the other huge change. winning. So yes, it was a, the, the hierarchy was was difficult to to penetrate. Um, the other big, very big difference was that the relationships with the clubs and the players were infinitely easy. I mean, mm. you. Uh, the, when the players went to the pub at the, uh, always remember um, 
uh, Ken Jones, who I worked with, was a very distinguished sports writer on The Independent, um, was closely connected with Tottenham because Cliff Jones, who played in the Spurs double team, was his, was his cousin. Uh, and uh, at the end of a, a Saturday afternoon, the Spurs players would go off to the local pub in, in the high road and Ken Jones and the other journalists would go with them. Yeah. And, you, you know, you built up their contacts. Even uh, when I started um, on LVC Radio, on local radio, I had the home phone number of, I would say, almost every London football club manager. And you would ring them up with, I'm a bit embarrassed now, you would ring them up and say, all right, to come down to the training ground tomorrow. And they'd say, yes, see you there after training, get a cup of tea and we'll see you. I mean, you can't imagine ringing up Arsene Wenger or uh, or Jose Mourinho and saying, uh, all right, to see you at the training ground tomorrow, Jose. Yeah. You'd get fairly short shrift if you didn't it, go through the club's 17 press offices. Yeah, of course. It's crazy the... Um when you think about it, that change, and, and I think that anybody that's because because we have some like Flav's very popular on YouTube, and we get a lot of younger younger uh, listeners because of that. <laughs> but but we, if you think for people that are really, you know, have grown up with the Premier League and have grown up with footballers almost behind this velvet rope and treated almost like A-list celebrities were back in the mm. day, or you know like like Prince or something like that whereby they're so unapproachable and they're on such a pedestal um, it'd be crazy I think that people would really struggle to understand that but essentially football like this is what it was like when I grew up is that um, or they'd go to the pub after the game there'd, mm. there'd be a local pub and the players would go in and they'd have a pint with the fans and stuff mm. like that or arrive or, on the bus with them yeah, in, in a slightly earlier era yeah or, 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 or go to the game on the bus it's great and, and I really feel that football's lost a lot of that intimacy because you used to even when I was a kid you, you, you identified you know with the players and you kind of felt like you knew them and you felt like they represented you and it's it's changed so much hasn't it yes very much so and and the whole thing of, of local players and and the local club as well of course yeah. um with with the influx of foreign players and 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 just wanting the biggest players rather than the uh, rather than the best local people who you could get through has, has had an effect on that as well. You know, it's, it's it's interesting that he's one of our own has become one of the most popular chants in support of any player uh, who has actually come through the ranks at the club and and become mm. popular because of that. Yeah, yeah, but it's still it's still it's still important, and it's kind of things that when it's such a rare thing that does happen. Obviously, the chant you mentioned that Spurs are used, we sing towards um, Harry Kane. Because uh, it is such a, a rare occurrence now that a player can be good enough from a local area that can come through our youth team and, and you know go and score goals or whatever it might be. Um, obviously, you've seen the change in, in media and, and, and Bull Street kind of wouldn't have existed, certainly in its current form, without the change in, in media and the way people can report on football, whether that be opinion or actual match report. And a lot of the people that work on Bull Street are, are, are fan media organisations or, or just groups of fans that use YouTube or their blogs as platforms to talk about their football clubs um, and it's almost as if now everybody is allowed an opinion and, and good I mean we live in democracy and it's good that everyone's allowed the opinion but spending some time on Twitter during match day you think maybe yeah. not everyone should have an opinion of course uh, but well it's anything nowadays um, the, the amount of like, I don't know how society's got to this level where it's at at the moment where it's acceptable for people to be so brutally cruel. Mm. Like, I, I don't know, because you wouldn't do that really in the street, right? I, I don't think. No. 
And so Ian Wright, who, you know, big friend, I did a great podcast with him talking about some of the, the trolling and some of the, the, the flack he gets from, from Arsenal fans. And one of the things he says is like, you wouldn't be like this to me. You know, I give my, in, you know, I got injured. I, I can't walk properly now because I took injections to playing games. Mm-hmm. Give everything that I could for the club. Played in finals to kind of help the manager out. Cause they didn't have these huge squads in those days either. Um, and, and kind of he's like, I see Arsenal fan. Never once have had an Arsenal fan giving it that in the street and saying, "Who are you?" You know what I mean? Blah blah blah, and giving him abuse. They're delighted to see him. Yeah. So he's kind of like, "So why is the, you allowed to do it? Why why do people do it on here?" It's weird. But 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 that's what we've kind of we've got to. And like, so I looked quite a bit old uh, UFC. Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey. They're, they're these people that have won loads of fights and they lose one fight. And the comments, people are just. Horrible. Why? How is it we at a point where people think it's acceptable to just start saying, you C word? Yeah. I mean, you're seeing some of our comments in our videos. Yeah. People are, you fucking yeah. twat bastard. Yeah. You know, they're coming out with this and you're just like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why is this okay? You have to get in the habit, really, of not, not reading them, but uh, I suppose you do just in the hope that there will be somebody uh, praising you. So it's very tempting to read, read the comments on anything, but. Uh, uh, Ideally, I think probably you shouldn't. Someone, someone tweeted the other day, I think a political writer tweeted, uh, the best thing about uh, Twitter is hearing from people you wouldn't otherwise meet, and the worst thing about Twitter is hearing from people you wouldn't <laughs> otherwise meet. Um, well, we, and I know what he means. Because yeah. we've got a, a YouTube channel and to do some stuff on it, I get my own fair share of... Of, of hate. I, I say hate, but I, I think that they don't realise that... See... It's real. Like it's almost like the YouTube comments you expect. The YouTube comments are a special section of the internet, right? Where people behave in a certain way. It's worse than Twitter, and it's kind of you. If you if you're not getting hate, hatred through your videos, you're not actually penetrating in any way. It's kind of yeah. it's, it's 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 almost like like they say it's better to be spoken about than not spoken about at all. It's yeah, kind of one of those. But things. it's so vitriolic that it's actually there's comedy in it. I, I find not, I decide yeah. to look at it in that way and and, and 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 actually archive some of the best insults that I've had um, and use them. Yeah, yeah. Use them in our content. It is strange, though. It is a very strange thing because, um, and I think a lot of it's driven actually by club rivalry, isn't it? So a lot of people decide that they're going to have a go at you because you're a Spurs fan and because you and your Spurs guys obviously um, take a fair amount of delight in Arsenal's misfortune. Yeah, whatever that may be. Yeah. But why wouldn't you? Of course. You, you know, like what, do, what do you expect if you can't actually go and say they've lost or they've not signed this player or this has happened and, and take delight in that? That's what I kind of don't understand. Well, this is what's been happening on the terraces for many years and, 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 and where ultimately the foundation of your book lies, I'd imagine, is that while it's in the, these rivalries... It's um, going to change Yeah, that is quite creepy. It's just every time I move... Uh, uh, the... the, the um, Obviously, the rivalries are formed mostly on the pitch. We've talked about that one's broken, I think. <laughs> Do I take that one? Uh, no. This is, this is solid gold podcasting. Yeah, that, that it's sounds, real life broadcasting. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't edit, edit anything, so they get, this is what they get. That sounds all right. It's us. Okay. Um, yeah, but the foundations of, of all all rivalry, obviously, the, the, some of it happens on on the pitch. You know, we just talked about the the the, the Arsenal and Chelsea. Uh, we talked about sorry Brighton and and, and Palace mm. and, and the fact that they were rivals on the pitch first, um, but it's the fans that feel the rivalry mostly, um, and it's important 
to understand that partisanship enables people, and I think this is something that shouldn't be lost in football, the opportunity to say things that they wouldn't otherwise say in a public area. Yeah. I think it's okay within boundaries to be hateful towards your, your, your opponent in certain circumstances. I don't know. Is that what do you think, Steve? Is that acceptable? Yes, I mean, yes. There are there are lines. I think one of the difficulties, probably, uh, we're talking before a weekend of of the, the Glasgow derby, for yeah. instance, and when you talk about Spurs and dislike and and the feeling that some Spurs fans have, including yourself, probably that that all other supporters hate us in London and so on. Uh, you have to raise the question whether anti-Semitism and, and a religious aspect comes into that. Clearly Clearly, it does in uh, in Glasgow. I mean, there's no there's no yeah. denying that. However hard some people have worked to try and, and stamp it out, um, I've, I've only ever done a couple of, uh, of Glasgow derbies, but they were pretty memorable occasions. Not least because we're talking now, probably very early nineties. Um, uh, people may remember that Mo, Mo Johnston was oh, a, wow. Mo Johnston was a, a, an established Celtic player who went to play in France. Came, wanted to come back to Scotland and it seemed certain that he would go back to Celtic, which was the obvious move for him. he was a him. great striker, wasn't he? Mark he was Jones? a great striker. Yeah. Uh, so Celtic supporters were going to be delighted to have him back. Graham Souness was the manager of Rangers and had broken down all sorts of barriers by signing... He'd signed black players, a couple of Jewish players, even English players, which I think was regarded possibly yeah. as the worst. And then he, <laughs> he committed uh, even worse than that. He decided that he would snatch Mo Johnston away from Celtic. Uh, Mo Johnston, of course, being a Catholic and in modern terms uh, being the first Catholic that Rangers had yeah. ever signed. So the first uh, Glasgow derby I ever did was Mo Johnson's first game for Rangers. It was at Parkhead. So you felt as you went in that basically all the Celtic supporters wanted to kill him. At wow. least half of the Rangers supporters wanted to kill him <laughs> because they were <laughs> furious at the idea of Rangers. I mean, they and if were... he didn't score, Graham Soonis would kill him. Yes, <laughs> quite. I mean, Rangers supporters, some of them, let's say, a few, a minority, were actually tearing up their season tickets because Rangers had signed a Catholic. Wow. Um, uh, that was the first uh, uh, derby I ever saw. I think that was a 1-1 draw. And the second one I ever did, which would have been Mo Johnson's first one at Ibrox, uh, he scored the winning goal in the last minute, which you can imagine went down pretty well with the Celtic supporters as well. So you do... Um... Can, I, can I just say, I don't think that sectarianism is OK, or or, or, or baiting or anti-Semitism. There's a but coming, but... No, I'm just saying, but that some things are OK, like being abusive, but I, I think... Um, not abusive, that's the wrong word. It, 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 there's some things that, that, that kind of... That there is a line, but it's OK to a certain to sing songs about how much you hate Arsenal, for example. Yeah. You don't want to remove all of that because yeah. it, removes, it removes the passion. It's funny, I've been to an old firm game um, and it was... When will this have been? This will be maybe 2004 or something like that. So still a little while ago, but not as, as far back as that. And it was probably before um, sectarian songs were banned and there was kind of a little bit of a movement towards that. But regardless of what was being said, because I'm completely impartial and it was on both sides and, you know, just like the Batman and the Joker don't get along. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just like um, Reds and Blues, or we don't get along and Arsenal Spurs and Huddersfield and Leeds. Like, 
people are just going to sing about what what they have to sing about and that might be history that might be you know whatever great victories that they've had on the pitch um but as an impartial man there right i'd just like to say that it was one of the most amazing atmospheres Mm. the 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 songs and i don't know what all of the mean and and all the historical references because i just don't know i'm from yorkshire um it sounded amazing because all these songs and and the pride and and they're very old songs you know and it was it was one of my favorite games that i've been to because a lot of the songs that you'd get in england it's a variety of the same song Mm. it's like where the greatest team the world has ever seen and it was kind of almost the same songs that are just going around Mm. whereas there there was so much kind of um um, passion and and um, what's what's the word? It comes out of something that's it's much a, more important than football. A different sound, you know. Yeah, and it was uh, and it was uh, <laughs> the, the most understand. amazing atmosphere I've ever been, and it just mm. sounded beautiful. It looked incredible. Uh, it was and four two as well. It was something <laughs> to It was a good game too. But yeah, I think that there is something that's. Um, I don't know where that line is that's about what's okay to say the difference between people and uh, that, if, that's if the issue. One person is it, is it right? Then the other person is I don't know, and it's mm. not really my place to say. But um, got, got to hate them rivals. It's a part of football. I often get accused of hating Arsenal more than I love Tottenham, and that there is something in that. Definitely, <laughs> I can't deny it. it there is. Um, so you've written this book about uh, the turf wars, specifically in London. Because well, actually, why? Why did you focus on London capital? Well, I mean, the, old, the old yes, the old adage is write what you know about. I suppose, and if uh, if I know anything about anything, which some would some would deny, um, it ought <laughs> to be London football. After all those forty more than forty years since I actually say it started going to games, um, and it, I don't think anybody had ever done a, um, a well. Most clubs have a, at least one very good history, club history written about them, uh, many of which I've, um, which I've consulted in the writing of this. I don't think anyone had, had done a general book about London football, trying to sort of bring it all together. Um, it, it was originally going to be called London Calling, which would have been a very dull, very dull title, but it occurred to me quite early on that the, the actual turf wars and the, the local rivalries and the way in which clubs not just grew up in one community but have been tempted over the years to share and merge and of course with Arsenal Arsenal's move from south to north London being the most famous example um, that there, there there's a lot of interest there and the other thing about London with you know with generally a minimum of about 12 uh, 12 professional and football league clubs um, there's always something going on it, it's always been a very interesting time um, and then going right back from the start, because the book does go right back to 1863 and the Football Association being founded in London, um, and the roots roots really being here. Mm. Uh, naturally, I've had a bit of abuse, uh, as you say, from the, once the social media uh, element gets going from from places like Merseyside and Manchester, and, and a, a, you know, an argument which is which is a perfectly valid one that London football in general has underachieved considering the number of clubs the population uh, the fact that it took London so long even to win a league title to win a European Cup uh, so um, you're getting 
abuse for that. <laughs> it's like, not well, for writing yes. a book about it, like, well, we won the cup. He's like, yeah, so what? Twitter. Twitter. Um, one or two Liverpool supporters have been keen to uh, point out there are some quite interesting statistics about how much, you know, Merseyside has won, Manchester's won, London has won. And in terms purely of league titles, you know, I, I don't know whether people know that, that both. Uh, Manchester and Merseyside have won more league titles than London um, and it's only London happens to have won a lot more domestic cups and stuff and uh, I was slightly surprised to find actually has a slightly better um, record in Europe when you, you take in things like cup winners, cups and fairs, mm-hmm. cups and so on. Um, so it's an interesting argument whether whether a city you know with this population and with this number of big clubs should actually have, have done more over the years. Well, I mean, what people generally will probably realise is that it took a very long time for London to catch up because of course the Football League, unlike the Football Association, uh, was very much a, a Northern and Midlands um, institution when it started. Um, uh, London had only Arsenal for a while and then Chelsea and Tottenham and so on and it wasn't until the 1930s that, that London actually won the league. Um, but it's been no, it's been a, it was just enjoyable to write to be honest and, yeah. and, uh, and to, to pull together. So, are we able to give away uh, a copy of your book? Is that uh, you could? Yes, I try not to give too many away myself. But, but, uh, um, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you. Yes, I'm sure we could arrange something along those lines. Okay. Well, we could speak to pitch maybe on the TV. Yes, do that. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. So, so how do people get hold get hold of? Well, them? I was just saying, books these days seem to be sold uh, online, like most other things, sold online rather than in bookshops. But um, so if you if you Google uh, Turf Wars and Amazon, uh, you'll get a very quick link to it. I'm hoping it might actually appear in some bookshops mm. um, but um, if you don't find it in your local bookshop it is very much available online for um, for under £10 and uh, probably a little bit of postage. I've got into um, audiobooks a little bit as well actually. Have you, is it available as an They audiobook? haven't asked me to do that yet. It's 90,000 words so it would take quite a long time to read. Yeah. Uh, it's available as an e-book which apparently is, uh, people in my generation you have to understand are, <laughs> do struggle to keep up a little bit with, mm. uh, with new technology in general. Um, but no, it, it is available as an e-book as, right. well as, a, as well as a book book. Okay. And what's your Twitter as well, Steve? Just so it's a very unoriginal at Steve Tongue, T-O-N-G-U-E. That's Steve Sung. So look, guys, if you're unhappy with anything, any rivalry, (laughs) blame Steve. It's all his fault just because he's written a book about (laughs) London football. Yes, uh, it's it's been a fantastic listen. And um, it's it's something that I'm I'm fascinated with. I think the most important thing around football really is the relationships between supporters. And in in a time where everything else has been taken away from from how we can follow our football clubs and, and the restrictions on on getting into games whether it be price or what we can do within within the stadium um, and uh, you know the way we absorb football whether it be on television or, or, or media online the one thing we have been able to keep for ourselves is how much we hate each other and uh, I understand your book isn't about hate and <laughs> not, not, nor should it be but um, it's, it's some, rivalry is such an, such an important thing But so Steve thanks so much for coming down been a pleasure speaking with us enjoyed it and thank Matt, you very much where will I see you um when will you see me? No, where will I? What you do you mean? Sign off with the pod. Oh, uh, the far post. <laughs> you came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> see you the far post. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.